0: Good morning, and welcome to a brand new episode of Riddles in the Dark, brought to you by the Mythgard Institute. The show that when it starts 20 minutes on late, is starting just on time. Like wizards, we arrive exactly when we intend to, neither late nor early. So today we will be talking about Lake Town. And what is going on back there during the whole um, giant golden statue uh, smaug crazy uh, chase scene that we bashed several weeks ago. Um, so anyway, let's get started. Without any further ado, I am your co-host Dave Kale. With me as always are the Tolkien professor Corey Olson and Trish Lambert. And let's get on to, meanwhile, back in Lake Town. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But I want to say I want to say if we get to be wizards I think the rule should be that we only get to pick colors that are in the big Crayola crayon box. <laughs> yeah. That's okay? true. So they have to be those
2: crayon names. Can it be the names. like the old school crayon crayon like you know, yes, can we have like 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 the burnt umber wizards? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Really? absolutely. You know I was going to say I'm it, <laughs> so oh, sorry umber, it's burnt David sienna burnt it was raw sienna. umber. I'm sorry. My my apologies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Gerald, Pine the one forest the one, green? The one,
1: Definitely the 128
2: color box. Yeah, say. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cerulean. Right. As long as we don't, as long as we don't have the, the uh, the the flesh wizard. That was that that one was embarrassing. But anyway,
1: <laughs> Fimble birth the Aquamarine. As <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, Did you like
0: my? Did you like my old-school Batman sound effect? Yeah, that was an fans. excellent touch. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I think that. We'll, we'll go back and add in the real one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, get it. I already found it on YouTube.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very good. Okay, so uh, today, um, before we uh, begin our discussion proper, a couple quick announcements um, uh, about... The that impact the riddles in the dark world. Uh, the first is a change that we have had to make to our website. Several of you we know have been uh, in the habit of commenting directly on blog posts that are made on the MythCard website. Um, especially those of you who are not on Facebook. Of course, our the riddles in the dark Facebook page is the primary sort of discussion point for uh, discussion site rather for people who you know want to add comments or. Uh, explain in detail exactly how incorrect we were in our predictions and why um, (laughs) uh, the Facebook Riddles in the Dark page is the best place to do such things however, uh, I know some people are not on Facebook or might have Longer things to say than can conveniently fit into a Facebook comment, uh, and so uh, some people have been making comments directly, as I say, on our uh, website. Um, that is not going to be possible anymore. We had to shut down the comment uh, feature. Orcs. Yes, we've and been we've been uh, under assault uh, for a couple weeks now um, uh, by uh, by agents of the Dark One, Um, uh, and we have had to put some new security measures in place uh, on the MythGuard.org website. So one of the things that that entailed was turning off our comments. Um, So we don't have that anymore, which means if you would like to make a comment and you cannot uh, use the Facebook page, um, we encourage you to send an email uh, directly to our wonderful producer, Laura Burkholz, who will be collecting those uh, and uh, bringing those together uh, with me. So that's uh, her email address is Burkholz. that's B-E-R-K-H-O-L-T-Z at MythGuard.org So Berkholz at MythGuard.org you can direct your uh, your comments and questions there um, and she is going to be collecting them for um,
1: dun, 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 dun. Here's another one Dun dun dun
2: dun dun uh, dun dun, dun. The new sub-series that we are doing. You may remember, in years past, we have done the Riddles in the Dark Digest, which has kind of grown and changed in different ways over the years, and it's back in a different form again this year. Um, And uh, with a new and cooler name, that is, Laura Berkholz and I are uh, co-hosting... Uh, This new series, which I am calling Riddles in the Dark Supererogatory, because Trish suggested Riddles in the Dark Extra, which I thought was good, but boring. So I (laughs) think supererogatory is a much better word. Uh, And And
1: it um, fits. I mean, he looked it up in the OED.
2: Oh, yeah. Supererogatory is a great word. It means doing more than is required of you. Um, uh, Going above and beyond the call of duty. And it's especially fun because it is linked uh, to a really theologically dodgy late medieval Catholic doctrine, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, about, like, storing up excess grace by doing more good works than God required of you. Um, uh, Martin so Luther words, would have so had sits. So in that sits.
1: context, you and Laura are set.
2: I ah, man, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, th- this, is, uh, uh, <laughs> this, this is the... Um, uh, this is the new show, well, it's a sub-show, Riddles in the Dark, super derogatory, and we had our first episode on Monday morning. Um, uh, Laura and I did, uh, basically what we're doing is, you know, we go, we're going to go over generally a couple episodes at a time, we do We do the conundra, we, and we talk about... Um, Comments that we've gotten from uh, from listeners, uh, Laura brings together um, you know the the you know a selection of some of the best comments that we've gotten, and we discuss those individually. Um, we're going to be doing a couple new features in that show. One of which is going to be. Uh, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna have like the commenter of the month. Um, what we would like to do is, you know, for when people submit really interesting, uh, comments, we would actually like to see if we could get that person to appear live with us, uh, and, uh, and, and discuss their comment, uh, you know, with us, uh, on the air, uh, and, um, uh, and then we also are going to be do, having a series of special guests join us uh, on the show. Sometimes the special guests won't always be able to make it at the live uh, recording time. Sometimes we might have to record our, our, our bit with the guest separately, but it will be uh, included in the...
1: Uh, That's so worth it.
2: Yeah, it Corey, will be will the, um, included
0: in the, in the, the published the... thing. Corey, will the the bots that keep attacking the website be eligible to, to be commenters in the month?
2: Yeah, absolutely, I think yes. Uh, we can. If you we can, can
1: read, have... if you can read Russian or Chinese,
2: right, right. yes, we can have the uh, the, uh, the the the. Uh, exotic IP address uh, of the month uh, the, from which our, uh, our our robot attacks are coming. Yes, we can... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. They would be very welcome. The attack robots, if they were to make cogent uh, comments uh, on the Hobbit film, would be very welcome to participate. I don't discriminate against somebody just because they are a robot and... Uh, trying to initiate a denial of service attack on our site. Um, You know, we're open-minded here. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so that is. uh I said we just did the first one on Monday. Uh, the other fun thing about Riddles in the Dark, super erogatory is that it will uh, uh, sort of come like a thief in the night. We don't. We we will be doing those somewhat irregularly. Uh, so, uh, so so for those of stay you stay who tuned. missed the
1: old days of Riddles in the Dark when it would get sprung on you all of a sudden. No, exactly. Worries.
2: We've now. You know, we now have this really staid and boring schedules you know this regular two-week thing with pre-announced topics and links and everything so in case some of you do need a little bit more spice back into your life you know there is su- <laughs> there's going to be supererogatory <laughs> to to help you, you save know. off the doldrums of your existence uh, you never know
1: when it will appear
2: exactly exactly <laughs> so 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 there you go. So that's uh, th- th- that's those are the riddles in the dark announcements for this show. <laughs> Excellent. Now let us move on to discuss the topic. So the big the, the the thing I want to do first when we talk about Lake Town now, and and our conversation of Lake Town here is is rather uh, is rather circumscribed. This is we're not talking about everything in Lake Town or or the whole Lake Town angle. Um, in the Siege of the Lonely Mountain, or anything like that. What we want to be talking about is the opening series in Lake Town. Um, you know, as Dave said, we have <clears throat> we ended the film, uh, we ended film two with the dwarves and Bilbo at the mountain. You know, a fairly prolonged sequence there, culminating in Smaug the Golden taking off and flying off towards Lake Town. Um, the last we saw in Lake Town was Kiwi being. Pr- Saved from death, though I still don't know how mobile he is uh, at, at this point. But anyway, he was preserved from death uh, by Torio and, and uh, Legolas, as we discussed last time. Is going herring off towards uh, Bolg and Point South. Um, obviously, <clears throat> we're going to get the fight, but we've left we've we've left Bard in prison. Um, and um, what? will have been happening how are things going to start off there in Lake Town and to approach this I would really like to um, I would really like to go back a little bit And talk a little bit more because this is something you know. We we did a whole episode last season about the politics of Lake Town, and we did you know when we were thinking about Bard and how he was going to be depicted. Um, And I think that it would be really helpful to go back and sort of think over what we did see in the Desolation of Smaug concerning Bard and the Master and his relationship there and the nature of the Master's regime, Um, because just sort of to make sure that we understand clearly what the situation is um, when it starts. That is, you know, we're going to be interested in talking about how is Bard going, you know, somehow Bard has to get from prison up to, you know, the uh, ballista or windlass in order to shoot the dragon down. Um, That seems relatively clear that that's going to happen. Um, But to me, before we even get there, the bigger question is, why is exactly is Bard in prison again? Um, and I want to make sure that we understand that because I think that that's not uh, completely um, intuitive. So, anyhow, um, to me, the sort of focal point um, leading up to things. I mean, we have the general fact that uh, the you know the master viewed Bard as a rabble rouser, um, and. He clearly is running a, you know. Running an oppressive regime, he holds himself above the rest of the people of Lake Town. The relationship between the master and the people of Lake Town was a little odd to me, um, and a little bit hard to understand. It was almost as if they were trying to depict him as some kind of traditional, like some kind of hereditary aristocracy, like just someone who considers himself to be of such a different class from you know the run of the mill people of Lake Town that he, um, you know, that he despises them. While at the same time dominating them, but I had a hard time placing that. I just I'm the, the I was uh, kind of struggling with the nature of that. I mean, one thing that I found interesting about it is there are many interesting parallels to be made. Um, that is the parallel between um, the parallel between the master of Lake Town and the people of Lake Town and Thranduil and the elves, for one. You know that you have a little bit of a mirror image there, um, but a connection which was suggested to me uh, by, uh, Rebecca, uh, by Rebecca, by Rebecca Hunt at MythMoot, um, was the parallel between the Master of Lake Town and the uh, the the Goblin King, the um, the Great Goblin in Goblin Town, um, and the way in which the two of them were both very parallel sort of physically repulsive characters who nevertheless sort of did a lot of posturing of themselves and rebecca's point which was a very interesting one was that the main difference is that the 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 great goblin was perfectly well aware that he was ruling over uh you know a a menial pack of monsters and standing on a pile of garbage um whereas the master of lake town seemed to actually give himself airs um and seemed to sort of convince himself in some sense that uh he was you know grandiose uh in some way that, that 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 you know he was the great goblin seemed more sort of self-aware and self-parodic than the master of lake town was um but um Anyway, what what were your guys' thoughts about the Master of Lake Town, and in particular his relationship with Bard? How 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 were you guys understanding that?
1: Uh, that David, we're waiting. Pretty... We're waiting for the other one.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> that was pretty. I um... I do think one of my disappointments that. Um, Film was that they they didn't seem to give us too much more there. The the Lake Town scenes went by really fast. I mean it, it, they made it clear early on that that there was um, that they were adversarial, uh, and that they considered him a rabble rouser. But they didn't really give us enough about sort of why, and, and and left us to kind of fill things in with you know especially. Um Those of us who are f- more familiar with the books and listen to the Tolkien Professor podcast to fill in a whole bunch of stuff about you know oh maybe it 's because it 's the ericgerian and and things like that, I did think you know the probably probably the most interesting moment was the when when Bard is trying to dissuade the the people from. You know, when grim Face Bar is and the the perpetual downer is trying to persuade the uh, people not to to s- support Thorin and his uh, attempt on the mountain, um, you know he reminds them about the dragon. And I thought it was interesting that the the master, you know, kind of says, "And who was it who screwed up and managed to not shoot the dragon with the uh, with the windlass?" Yes. Uh, I thought that was interesting, like that was kind of a nice little little moment, but i we didn't get enough of that so it's it's a little hard to speculate, yeah i mean
1: it, it, yeah that... I, I think you have to really pay attention to I think that's true you know I mean I almost need to see the Blake Town scenes again at least two more times because it's all of the you know the, I think the answer to your question is really embedded, very um cleverly, I suppose, I don't even know if that's the right word, in things like even the visuals, you know, the visuals of his house, and also you have to really listen to what he says, you know, the thing about um, when Alfred says to him that they might, they've been talking about elections, and he has that horrible shudder reaction to, oh my god, not elections, and, and the thing he just, like Dave was just saying, the thing he says to, to Bard, you know, what I want to in, infer, which I don't think we have evidence for this in the movie yet, is that he's he's afraid of Bard, Yes. Because Bard is Geryon's heir, and, you know, he's worried that Bard's going to get support and and oust him. Um, but I think you re- it's like you have to almost infer a lot of that, because it's, you have to listen to what he says and look at the trappings around him and his, his body language and what he does. I mean, it's very, I think they've concentrated a lot in there, but it's not overt.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I agree, Dave, um, also that the that comment about Gurion missing um, was, I thought, the single most fascinating thing that the that the Master of Lake Town said, um, because it, there did seem to be a kind of defensiveness there. Um, even just the sort of the 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 way the scene was was presented when Bard came, when they had their showdown in the town square between him and Thorin with the Master there um the way that bard stands forth out of the crowd you know emerges out of the crowd and stands forth and speaks authoritatively that whole thing created this you know so you've, you if you remember physically how that how that um, scene was depicted you had the master standing up at the top of the steps you had yep. thorin on the steps below him surrounded by guards then you had the people around them so you've got the master standing up above the people right um and then you had Bard emerging out of the people and coming up towards them and 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 you know and shouting and speaking authoritatively, not against the master, against Thorin, right? Um, and the master then deciding, deciding as a consequence, almost of Bard's opposition. You know, so you can, you know we, we we get those moments of, of you know the master kind of calculating in his head what is the best thing to do, um, you know, and then ending with welcoming Thorin and and saying that he would support him. Um, but, but clearly, part of what is going on there for the master is opposing Bard. If he goes along with Bard, I mean, he, he's siding with the people because Thorin is ha, has succeeded. You know, the, the 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 film is clearly showing us that Thorin has succeeded in raising the hopes of the people, and that the people clearly want to side with Thorin and are less interested in the grim uh uh you know in the grim voice of bard there uh, as he is as he is opposing him but again it seems to be uh, basically the position the master is in there if he sides with bard if he if he has thorin thrown into prison uh here instead of supporting him then he is merely backing bard you know he's put himself in a really weak position um, yeah. so he you know, he also has to kind of stand against him though again there's no explicit Bard doesn't seem to actually have a faction, you know, uh, though he's called a rabble rouser. We don't see him actually raising any rabble or threatening yeah, to. to be no rabble following him. No, well, and
1: you know, the other thing with Bard is, I mean, Gerald Michael points out that, you know, he does have the people you know, he has the people's welfare at heart and he's really popular with the people. But I think the scene that you're talking about in that particular in that particular part of the scene, the people prove to be very fickle, you know. He is the voice of reason in the sense of think of the dragon, think of what you know could be happening if they go. And all Thorne has to say, we'll share the gold, and the people are like, yay! You know, there's there's not, and I think part of that probably is the social psychology of a oppressed people. You know, they see good times when they when Thorne talks about the gold, but Bard doesn't really have that much sway with the people that he can hold them in the face of that. You know, where I think. I tend to think if he did have, you know, if he had more sway, if he did have more influence, there would at least be some people saying, well, maybe Bard's right. And nobody seems to be doing that. So the, it's an interesting thing because he seems to not have as much support. Now they're going to be fickle again right. when the dragon gets killed, you know, and then they're probably going to go, Bard there's our hero. Yay. We want him for King, you know, so I'm not really impressed with the fealty or loyalty of the people in Lake town at this point.
2: Right. Right. And, uh, I mean, and that is certainly the anticipation of um, um, of the changing of the of the changeability of the crowd is certainly something right. that that does seem to have been set up. I mean, I I agree with uh, with Pete Reitzert here in general. He said that um, you know the film depicts Bard as being something of an outsider from Lake Town society. You know, the townspeople back the master because they're small and they're small and mean spirited, or at least. Mm-hmm as you say, small-minded and downtrodden, Uh, to me the main way, the the main sense in which Bard is a rabble-rouser is not that he necessarily has a following but because he's the only one who isn't um, sort of ground underfoot, you know, he's the only one He's the only person in Lake Town who still retains a spine, essentially, and that seems to be what makes him dangerous uh, to the Master of Lake Town. That he's the only one who will defy him in any way, um, the only one who seems to, you know. But, but it's interesting because it's not that he's he's the one who uh, hopes to improve things or hopes to over. You know, he doesn't actually seem to have any plans to overthrow the Master. Um, he doesn't seem to, you know, one of the things that we, again, one of the things we were debating last season was, are we going to get any kind of, any flavor of King in Exile from from Bard? You know, are we going to get any of this like, I should be king, I have been deprived of my rights, um, you know, I should, like, lead a rebellion against uh, the, the Master. Um, and I think, in the end, no, we didn't see that. You know, we didn't see him... Um, and there, and that's where I think that bit about, um, that bit about Geryon missing, um, seemed to play such an important role, mm-hmm. is because mm-hmm. he wasn't just, you know, a king in exile or, or you know, a, a, a king who's been, you know, a, the heir to the throne who's been deprived of his, of, of his of his rule, but rather, a disgraced. Monarch, You know, somebody who has lost his right to rule um, because they screwed up and have lost the, the, the will of the people. And that seemed to be exactly what the master of Lake Town was reminding him of. You know, that like the, 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 the heirs of Girion are not worthy uh, to rule because the fall of Dale was their fault. Um, you know, and so therefore we're not going to take them back.
1: You know, both both Tom Hillman and Pete Reitzer point to something here. Um, Tom compares, uh, he says, uh, wouldn't the people of Lake Town have the same attitude toward Bard as the brief folk had toward Shire?" You know, at least... A, to, a, a str- to a Strider, Strider right. excuse me. Um, at least in the book, because we didn't see it developed all that much, I guess, in the movie. And then, you know, Pete says, and to follow on with that, Bard in general is an upstanding person and people who stand for doing what's right no matter what are rarely popular. You know, those two kind of go hand in hand. And yeah, you know, you could kind of see that, that he's... You know he's he's popular as long as there's benefit, you know, to him, and not popular if he's saying the wrong stuff.
2: <laughs> right, right. That most people don't want trouble. Um, right, exactly. And uh, I and mean, you can even see this, you know, from the like extensive spy network uh, of uh, of of the master, you know, a, 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 a you know Colbert's crew, and um, you know on. on on screen, Yes, right. Uh, <laughs> Led
1: by
2: Stephen Colbert. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, one of the things that primarily impressed me about that, or, or rather the, the primary impression, I should say, that that made on me was less the fact that, you know, the Master has this extensive intelligence service, and so therefore no conspiracy can really uh, thrive against him because he always knows everything that's going on, or at least Alfred or whatever the name of his lackey was, does, um, because frankly, there didn't seem to be anybody to spy on except for Bard, and and uh, what it's what it seemed to speak to more was the general complicity of the rest of the people of Lake Town. You know that most people in Lake Town just don't care, and the rest of them do spy work for the master. Um, so again, it just sort of exaggerates uh, the extent to which Bard is alone in both. Um, being willing to stand against the master and speak against the master when necessary. And also um, his, uh, his willingness to stand up and do the right thing. Um,
1: Now, Brian does remind us. Oh, sorry.
2: I was was just going to make a joke. I think the, uh, the, the (laughs) spine network
0: is, I think the spine network is a part of the master's putting Lake town back to work plan. (laughs)
2: <laughs> right yes it does increase the employment rate you know if you have a an, an enormous number of people who are yeah
1: so it's a way to deal with the labor the quarterly labor report that comes out right that's right
2: that's right Yeah. Uh,
1: now brian does point out and i i had kind of forgotten this but alfred uh you know does voice some concern to the master over the possibility of a food riot uh, breaking out at any minutes um so, you know, that, again, see, this stuff is just packed within the dialogue, and you really have to listen to it, which, you know, leads me to think, well, the master's influence really was more through the spy network and through fear rather than there being influence in the sense that we're talking about the bard might have. Um, so the the hold is tenuous, and he's very, you know, he's, he's, he's paranoid, and probably rightfully so.
2: Yeah, and I would kind of go even further, and it, it seemed to me that um, the, you know, Alfred is Alfred. Is, is that right? Is that his name? Is that what he was called? Yeah, Alfred. The, you know, the... I think it's
1: Alfred. A L F R I D, isn't it? Yeah,
2: the Alfred Wormtongue guy. Um, he uh, uh, he seems to be obviously the person who's actually ruling the city. Um, as yeah. you know, the first thing we see right. is him overtly manipulating the Master of Lake Town into doing what he, Alfred, wants. Um, I mean, all that stuff about elections and stuff, I, I, honestly, what, what reason do we have to think that the people of Laketown are threatening to, uh, to, to hold elections and do an ouster on, on the master? Um, all we have is, you know, Alfred's word on that, which, you know, like, call me crazy, but he didn't strike me as extremely trustworthy. So, um, or
1: as, as Brian has dubbed him, Lieutenant Unibrow. <laughs>
2: Lieutenant Unibrow, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Exactly. The, the, the guy always depicted in the uh, promotional posters, you know, slinking behind corners and holding knives, you know. Right. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, it, it's, um, <laughs> for some reason, he just rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> I kind of, it does kind of make me wonder whether
0: there's a pending betrayal. Yeah. Of the master. Yeah. Yes. By
1: by Alfred. Yeah. Mean, yeah. yeah.
0: Could we um, could we end up with a could we end up with like a future scene where where it turns out that it's um, that Alfred uh, is the one who's running off with the money or something at the end.
2: You know that I could really that, that I could easily oh, wow. see. Um, you know it, it, that that it would be the master that that Alfred would use that knife on. Um, makes all kinds of sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, he seems to be the one who is the actual who's the actual power, um, mostly. Be, and, and, and I'm thinking here primarily of that first scene with the Master of Lake Town. Um, you know, the whole the the elections scene. What we see from him is that he's weak, he's clueless, um, and he's and he's a drunk. And Alfred can you know maneuver him whatever direction he wants to go. So the question is, what is his Ulterior motive. Now, are we, are we going to get? Do you think that we're actually going to get some kind of worm tongue angle with him? That is to say, is he going to be merely an unscrupulous person trying to increase his own power by the manipulation of the Master of Lake Town, or are we going to have him revealed as some kind of uh, s- some kind of oh evil agent goodness. in Lake Town? Agent of Sauron, oh, or something? Just... You know, I mean, or, yeah,
1: or saruman
2: yeah, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Turns out Alfred was actually Grima's mentor, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll see like a you know a, a, like a, a adolescent uh, uh, worm tongue running off. I don't know. But I mean, seriously, do we think that there's that that's going to be part of the bigger plot, or is this just going to be a pure internal Lake Town politics thing?
1: Oh, I bet it's just internal. These guys seem to be very narrow-focused, mm-hmm. not really caring much about the rest of the world. Or, I mean, the only way that that could happen is if Sauron had actually dangled, or whoever had dangled, you know, Richards in front of Alfred's face, and we haven't even had a whiff of that kind of thing yet, so I don't know. Also,
0: it's not clear, it's not clear why Sauron would be involved here.
1: Yes, like, it's true.
0: Uh, really, Sa- <laughs> you know, Saruman's gotten really bored. <laughs> right, right, right. That's, that's the same. Okay. Like, just
2: messing around in local politics. <laughs> right, I, I can really see this. You know, like uh, there's a big council meeting between Sauron and the Ringwraiths. You know, after he springs them out of their tombs. You know, and he's like, okay, well, okay, you know, our first to... task. How shall we take over Lake Town? We must manipulate Lake Town politics. Yeah.
1: Well, maybe he's really into fish. You know, he maybe Lake Town's yeah. a fish source. He doesn't want to pay for fish anymore.
0: I, you know, <laughs> what I, I can actually see at the council, he springs the, the ring raids and they show up and they're like, all right, boss, what's going on? What do we got happening? He's like... I got big news for you. I have an agent planted at Lake Town. <laughs> That's right. Is, yeah. uh,
1: close, close down the hookahs in the river. Forget yeah. looking for the ring. Go That's to right. Lake Town. That's yeah. right. <laughs>
0: yeah. The rig re- raids re- are really disappointed. They're like, oh, geez. oh man, really fallen far in, in during the the uh, centuries we've been locked up in the tombs. Pretty disappointing.
2: Yeah. I mean, the only the it, it's it's a little difficult to imagine uh, as you say, Sauron taking a direct hand uh in Lake Town politics. Um, the only and I don't think even even thinking of just orc involvement, you know, independent orc involvement, um, seems very unlikely. I mean Azog has been a free agent running around until this point. Um but yeah, I mean it's so, I mean, I, I, I wanted to bring that up because it's a question that a lot of people have asked me, you know, the, about the, you know, the parallels between Alfred and Wormtongue and, and uh, you know, how, how far do we think they're going to take that? And it is just hard to see it, hard to imagine exactly yeah. how that would work.
1: I, I, I want to just give a shout out to, to our listeners today. I mean, we can't—we just can't go through all of them. But some people are making really funny <laughs> comments. I mean, I, I mean, you, if you're hearing me giggle in the background, it's because I'm reading your comments. It's just a riot. You guys are really on point today. Um, oh, you know, but one point somebody said I think it was Luke. You know, the thing. This is a little bit of a side thing, but it's like it is interesting, isn't it? That like the elves show up in Lake Town, nobody reacts. The orcs show up in Lake Town, and there's like nobody even in the out who, you know, the place was crowded like minutes before and the orcs show up and have this enormous fight with an elf and nobody, you don't even see people looking out their windows. Right. <laughs> I thought that was really odd when I saw the movie. I thought surely he could have like not been quite so digital about it, you know, I mean at least show the people like looking out windows or something from having been this crowded marketplace before.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, of course it's with the compression of the time frame as well, you know, one of the issues there is that um, if people are going to be roused by the fight with the goblins, then they'll already be roused when Smaug comes, oh, because true, yeah. those two things are presumably separated. But I don't know how much time. Well, actually, I mean, that's a that's a that's a good question. Actually, and a good question which can direct us back towards um, the uh, the lead into Smaug in the early parts of film three. How much time do we think has happened? how much time do you think um I, we're supposed to understand has passed from legolas riding over the bridge in pursuit of bolg to smaug flying from the mountain towards lake town i mean in film time
1: well and if we go the other direction which is when yeah. the when the when the elves leave i mean the elves the dwarves leave lake town to the time smaug Flies away. Looks like it's about within a day, doesn't it? I mean, it's like
2: everything is within the day day at
1: noon. The sun, the moon comes up and opens the secret door that night. That same night, right? And then they have the fight with Snug and he goes off at maybe like eleven PM or so.
2: Right. It's still night. Um, It's still that same night. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: So it'd be like the next day after the dwarves leave that he gets to Lake Town, or in the early morning hours of that next day.
2: Right, and it's already. Dark when Bard is taken, right? Is yes. It? Yeah.
1: yeah, because it's also uh, yeah. dark, isn't it? When Legolas and, and
2: bolg yeah, fight okay. Too, so 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 right. So if 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 the Legolas bolg fight Bard imprisonment thing, uh, Bane as he's called in the film, running off with the Black Arrow um, to hide it or to keep it anyway. Um, if all right. that if all that's happening the same night, we're we are talking about a matter of hours. But you know, I mean, in the Peter Jackson film, hours is I mean, you can cross half a Mirkwood in that time. So, like,
1: Erica says probably like thirty minutes. Or maybe Legolas <laughs> is riding up at the same time. Smaug is flying to our Lake Town, so he's not going to get very far before the dragon hits Lake Town. <laughs>
2: But, hey again he could get halfway to doe Goldor by that time you know, that's, true. It's, it's,
1: that's true
2: that's true that's not let's not underestimate yes. this that, um,
0: that is a really good that is a really good point though like uh, I have no sense of time uh, for for the for the those the last set of events because um, the the, the smog chase scene is pretty freaking long um, and it seems like it would eat up a lot of in movie world time but yeah, I have no clue. Like, and and I'm kind of wondering. So, Trish, you asked a question uh, um, uh, in the in your email and in the Google Doc, like, you know, how much how much on screen time will we get before the smog's attack begins? And I've been kind of wondering if they're going to roll it back a little bit, um, that they're going to give us a glimpse of events that were transpiring during the what was going on in the mountain. No, although. So let's see, what did we see, what did we witness already at the end of Desolation of Smog? They did they did feel they felt like a tremor or an yes. earthquake. We got a yes. glimpse of Bard feeling an earthquake and then being like, Guys, come on guys.
1: Well and Pete, um, Pete says, Pete asks, did they not see a fire on the mountain? I don't remember that in the movie. Did they see something from Lake Town?
2: I'm not remembering that either. There was the earthquake. Um, okay. but I don't remember them seeing fire. Um,
1: they see light coming from the mountain, Brian says.
2: Do they? Okay. And
1: Kim says there was a glow, I believe. So you know, right. i got to watch this again. That
2: would be, then, Smaug's emergence. Because, of course, unlike in the book, there is no <clears throat> a Smaug action on the outside of the mountain, which is what they see. You know, Smaug uh, bashing and burning the side of the mountain, trying to catch the dwarves. Um you know, and that doesn't happen in the film. So, um, all they can be seeing is Smaug's emergence there. Um, so the so, clock is so already they... ticking. <laughs> so, so, so
0: unless unless Smaug travels substantially slower than the other denizens of Peter Jackson's <laughs> Middle Earth, they have zero time. <sighs> possibly um you will emerge from the mountain and be at lake town in five seconds but
1: yeah i mean i was even wondering if we're going to get like a minute or two before the so that's roughly I don't even know. that's
0: that's how long it took the dwarves to travel from lake town to the mountain in boats on foot Right. Well, we do
1: have the you know, we do have the possibility we talked about about Snug falling asleep as he goes having to turn right. So. <laughs> <Yes,
0: laughs>
2: that's right.
0: He's actually yeah. He's gonna pull he's gonna pull over to the side of the road on his way. Look, it's irresponsible to fly while I'm feeling sleepy. I'm gonna take a nap
2: first. <laughs> take a nap, have my have my Silmarillion flashback dream, uh, and then yes. Um That's true. So, that's true.
0: So it, I, I would be willing I like I'm I'm leaning in the direction of there's not going to be very much time now. I was kind of thinking maybe we might roll things back, but I kind of but I'd forgotten that we've actually gotten several scenes in Lake Town occurring during um, the the whole smog chase scene. Um, so I, I would I, I, man maybe we're just going to start right with the arrival of the dragon.
1: At least in Lake Town pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, even if it doesn't start that way from the very beginning, yeah. Well,
2: I guess then, to me, the real question is, does the escape of Bard, you know, which obviously has to happen and is one of the early, um, you know, elements that has to be resolved at the beginning, does the escape of Bard, or the, you know, the, the, the jailbreak, does that begin beforehand? You know, do we or is that going to be something? I mean, it, do we really expect to see Lake Town like on fire around Bard while he's still in prison?
0: Well, we have seen him. We've seen the glimpses in previous, you know, um, production videos and whatnot of him running and sprinting through a burning Lake Town, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's a good question, and I'm I'm wondering about that too because given given sort of the the um the, the 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 layout, the type of town that we've given, I don't see how smog doesn't burn the whole thing in one pass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know, honestly, it's it's small and it is like
1: kindling too. I mean it's yeah. like you know it's yeah. small
0: and dense and entirely built out of wood. Dude, like that thing's gonna go up in a blaze in five seconds.
1: I think uh, I think the um I think it's the attack that's gonna that's gonna spur springing Bart from jail because what's going to happen is the guards are going to desert their posts people are all going to be panicked and the need to get Bart out of jail is going to become you know like a real obvious thing so I don't think it'll be the the early days of the attack
0: the jail may just burn down around him you just (laughs) don't even have to break (laughs) him out
1: steam from the lake will interfere with Smaug's aim (laughs) Gerald <laughs> well, actually, um, actually, Dave, let's remember that the stupid dragon couldn't kill one single dwarf.
0: Yeah, I know. So I, you know,
1: we're not going to be too surprised when he can't burn Lake Town with one. I was, I was just tail. thinking
0: that very thing. I was like, oh, good. This seems like another opportunity Andy. to diminish Schmaug. Um Have him just have this tiny little densely packed, entirely built out of wood town, and have him being flying back and forth over it. Lighting like one little lighting, lighting like, you know, the, setting fire to the bridges first, and and you know, like just lighting teeny bits, you know, lighting something on fire that then falls over into the water and goes out. And jeez, oh, having having a horrible time starting the fire. Now, you
1: we know, like do it, need to remember that Smaug's attack is going to be the next episode. <laughs>
2: That's right. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll yeah, talk yeah, more okay, about Attack okay. so, yeah. next time. It's
0: not anticipated too much. Yeah. That's
2: right. That's yeah. Right. We um, and we will have
1: plenty of kindling <laughs> to
2: talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but the I don't know. I am not I I, I my the, the oh, big wow, problem that I have. The the big problem that I have here is that where we're left at the end of film 2. Um, you know, and it may well be that nothing comes of this and that we just have you know, either, you know, in, pretty close to immediately after where we ended film two, um, Smaug appears in the sky over Lake Town and he says to the guards, um, The dragon's here, uh, you, you want to let me out? And they're like, uh, Yeah, okay, maybe that happens. Maybe the building uh, gets smashed and he escapes through the smashed building or something. Um, uh, th- either of those things are possible. But Neither of those things picks up on this the, what seems to be left us as the situation. I mean, we have we have Toriel and those dwarves still there in town. We have like the, the, there are, there are several factors that are left. I mean, if you think about Lake Town, um, we're left with th- with well, really four Lake Town related loose ends at the very end of the Desolation of Smaug one is Bard sitting in prison asking, hey, uh, really, the dragon is coming you should let me out Um, the other is Toriel and the dwarves back at his house with his daughters what are they going to be doing and how are they going to be involved Um, the third is his son Bane, at large, somewhere in the city with the black arrow what's he going to do and how is is he going to reconnect with his father in order to give him the last remaining black arrow and fourth, you have Legolas riding off across the bridge after Bolg, who may or may not still be within sight of Lake Town when the dragon attacks.
1: Which, by the way, let me just put in this note that Gerald made, which I hadn't thought of. Where did Legolas get the horse? Are there more horses in the Lake Town stable that might show up in the next movie? <laughs> just just a little side note that I thought was interesting.
2: That's true. I had not thought of Lake that Town until people. Gerald brought that up. Do know we saying? know for a f- fact that he didn't bring a horse? We I don't no know to... how
1: he could have. They were on foot have... when they had left the Elven King's Hall. They couldn't very well go back and get horses, right? Because I'm,
0: I was just thinking about that, um, uh, uh, prompted by some of the, the comments and the questions. Um, you know, basically, people were asking how on earth, how did the 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 entire team of orcs and the two elves get into Lake Town? Without anyone noticing, <laughs>
2: like you
0: know, it, it seems the, the
2: intensive spy network down. really ha- was having a bad night. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and it seems pretty locked down, given what what Bard had to do to get the dwarves in, and then and then the, these guys just show up, and they weren't even on a boat. What the it, like? I'm hoping there's some kind across of
1: that bridge or something, you know, the bridge that he writes out on.
0: I'm hoping Very there's some kind of missing scene that will be on the extended edition. That ch- Yeah, yeah,
2: I'm oh, sure that's it. Are. I'm sure or that's you show
1: it. you show reeds, you know, coming up out of the lake, you know, as, as yeah. they walk across <laughs> they the bottom slam. of
2: the lake. <laughs> Yana <Yeah. laughs> says they crawl <laughs> in one by one through other people's toilets.
1: That's right, I forgot about that.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that seems like... That's exactly... That is definitely how Peter Jackson would depict elves in his film, doing something like that.
2: Crawling up through toilets? Yeah, absolutely. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah, Tom says, well, Legolas obviously walked in on the lake.
2: (laughs) Right, Right? Yeah, he just walked across (laughs) the surface of the lake. They
0: could have brought a horse, but does Tariel also have a horse? It's very confusing. Yeah.
2: No, probably not.
0: the, The film, as we saw in theaters... The, those those kinds of scenes strike me as, they give me, I, I'm sure there's maybe missing scenes that, that explain things, but those scenes, when I think back on them, strike me as kind of sloppy filmmaking, where it's like, oh, and here's where Legolas rides off on a horse. Where did he get a horse? Who
2: cares? Right. The audience isn't going to ask that question. But see, the thing is, is that actually, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings films were quite good at avoiding that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. yeah. Internal consistency of the film was something that was, uh, I think, really, a, really a, a a hallmark of Jackson's earlier films, which is why, you know, Dave, it does seem to me, as you were suggesting, to be possibly an editing issue rather than a conception issue. I doubt, you know, that like, you know, Jackson and Boyens and Fran Walsh and, uh, you know, John Howe and Alan Lee were all sitting around, you know, and then they're like, "Ah, he needs a horse. He didn't have one. Wow, well, screw it. Who cares?" Like, I can't see them having that conversation. They, they did always, they have always cared about that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. i um, but, sure And now
1: we're back to, to the hopeful, you know, hoping for you know, good stuff in the extended edition. Yes. Conversation.
2: The know? extended edition gets longer and longer every episode we have.
1: <laughs>
2: yep. Yep.
1: I mean, it would be nice if they pay attention to that because yeah it's it's it is troublesome anyway
2: so yeah that um, so,
1: yeah so legolas is leaving Town, and like you know like if we're figure, like we said if we're figuring the timing being you know being what it is that he basically is fighting bulg at the same at the same time that the dragon is kind of you know futzing around on the mountain then he's not going to have gone very far before the dragon shows up right like well, he said, he could get especially
0: door, right? especially if um uh especially if if um uh, Bogue applies the the Radagast the Brown strategy for leading him away. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> just going to run around in the field uh, uh, outside, just
2: outside of Lake Town. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: You know, a, a note that Brian made about them having done an extra whole extra movie. It's like imagine what would have gotten left out of this. This is day two movie. Right, yeah, actually,
2: know. yeah. I wanted to I wanted to to actually address that for a second because this it's actually something. It, it, it's one of the things that has really uh sort of annoyed me about the people who uh, you know have just been especially since the announcement of the three films have been you know uh, really without even waiting to see the films just been saying oh see this is obviously just a ploy and it's all going to be padded and useless um like people who to me people who say see like they just like they, they've just added a whole bunch of padding in order to add a third film in order to make more money like are just not paying any attention at all. Like the problem they have been having from the beginning has not been, oh crap, we've got to find some more stuff to shove in here in order to make it longer to make a film. I mean, this thing has been overpacked from day one, um, and 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 you can say like that's the pro the problem that the second film has is not like boy we were really spreading butter over too much bread here to make this fit into you know into a into a third squeeze into a third film, rather. The if it ha- the problem that it has is there are places where it feels like a jumbled mess because there's so much stuff they couldn't squeeze it all in. Yeah. Um, yep, so, yep. So, so again, I, just, I, I I I get really annoyed um, when people uh, uh, talk that way because again, it's just, they're just not paying attention. That is just that is so obviously not what we're seeing on screen. Is something that's yep, just sure. simply been padded and stretched.
0: Yep, sure. that's very true.
2: Anyway, um, so. Um, uh, I had to vent there for a second. I'm better. Um, <laughs> back to our loose ends. As I said we've we've got the four loose ends. Um, and how do we see them being involved again here in the in in the lead? You know, we'll talk about the battle itself and Smaug's actual attack next time, and the immediate and the aftermath of that attack. Um, but I want to. But here again, like where are we left at the beginning? If we have just if none of these things happen, you know, so we have these four pieces in place. You know, Bard in prison, his son at large, the dwarves and Toriel back at his house with Bard's daughters, and Legolas galloping away on the mystery horse. Um, if, in the end, Smaug just shows up and starts smashing the place and Bard escapes or is released in the confusion, um, that seems to me a, a serious missed opportunity. I, I, I mean, yeah. I, I know I left the film with the clear impression that we where we were going to start was going to be in the time before Smaug arrives, or even after he's spotted, you know, and before he swoops in and begins his attack, we need a we need a jailbreak. I and mean, we've got to get, Bar- you know, the, the Bard needs to escape from prison, and it's rather urgent. Um, and here we wow. have all of these other, you know, uh, protagonists there in town. Um, Who
0: are quite capable,
2: in fact. Right. Exactly. Uh,
0: okay, so... So here's a, here's a question. Um, uh, uh, let's see. Would they have the impetus to try and break him out before they spot the dragon? Or do you think? Um, so so I'm imagining. Bane, okay, Bane knows what's going on, right? Like he he was he talked to Bard long enough that they they knew that they need to get the Black Arrow and he's hiding it and stuff. So he knows what's going on. Yes. Um. Uh. His uh, Bard's daughters. Do they are they savvy? Are they hip? Did they feel the earthquake and say, "Up, oh, Dad warned us this would happen. That's the dragon. We got to get him out of jail. Help us, Elf woman." You um, uh, do, know, will the dwarves in Toriel? I mean, it's hard to imagine Toriel. I'm sure she would feel the earthquake, but it's like, uh, did, does she know what, the context? Does she even know about the dragon? Like uh, those characters, those that that group, I'm really interested in. Do they do they have enough knowledge about circumstances to know how to act?
2: Well uh, the obvious thing that could here's a here's 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 a sort of obvious opening scene. Um, you know, we have uh, dwarves and Toriel with Kiwi stretched out on the table. Tableau. And now the it you know, we return to that scene and we have, you know, Bane comes barging in the door, holding the Black Arrow, and saying, "They've taken Dad." Uh, that it could happen, right? And so then we have a rallying together of all of the loose ends, other than Legolas, um, to uh, to go out and take swift and immediate action, with or without Kiwi. I, I don't know exactly how efficacious uh, uh, Toriel's healing was, if he can spring up off the table and go off into battle right away or not. But um, but in any case, uh, certainly, some at, least, at the very least, some or most of the dwarves and Toriel could go and help uh, Ban and possibly uh, Bard's daughters. I would quite... I, I would quite like to see Bard's daughters turn out to be competent in the way you were suggesting, Dave. Um, it would be nice. You know, to see them... And, and you know, and, and I think, you know, even with the orcs at the end, you know, they they certainly, they did more than just scream and look vulnerable. They did that, too. But uh, but they did more than that, also. So, you know, one 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 could hope for good things from them, maybe. Um, but... Um, But but yeah, I I so I think, then even if even if Smaug is cited again, I still think there's going to be a there's got to be a pre-battle sequence. I mean, I think if 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 that doesn't happen, um, well, I mean, I know I know I will be disappointed. I'll definitely feel like something was sort of left on the table if that if that if that doesn't happen.
0: Well, it certainly would be a. Seems like it. So here's the thing it would be a huge waste to the other characters because once the attack begins and Bard's out of prison, well, the rest of the have nothing to do, right? Like, what good are the dwarves going to be? Zero. Um, <laughs> Taryel, for all her capability, what is she going to do? Not, you know, all they could possibly do is uh, scamper around and pull people out of fires. I guess that's something, but, but they can't help at all in terms of the dragon. They're going to be useless. The only... Um, uh, uh, the only person who could potentially be useful, as pointed out by Ryan, uh, is Legolas. In fact, I, I completely agree with Ryan. Now, Legolas has to not be at Lake Town, given 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 precedent uh, set for him in previous films. Smog doesn't stand a chance against Legolas. <laughs> right?
1: right. He never misses. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Smog. Legolas will be like, "Oh, no, no problem, guys. boom, dead." But. But he, it, I guess you could argue he doesn't have his um, he doesn't have his giant um,
2: exactly uh,
0: Galathrim bow that he had. Well, in the Lord of the Rings he
2: doesn't films. have it. I mean, even 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 his bigger bow. I, I mean, they were setting it up, and certainly the way that they visually depicted it—that is the the scale of Smaug, the size of him—does um, yeah. make it really unlikely that a regular-sized arrow would be able to kill him. I mean, it would just be a very small wound, Um, even if it hit him in just the right place. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, uh, doubtless Legolas's archery is sufficiently precise to perform acupuncture on the dragon, but what else could it do? I mean, it's very... Next episode,
1: next episode.
2: Next episode, yeah. But, but, but anyway, that is to say, I think that they've, they've, in, they've invested enough in film two, they've invested enough in the necessity of the Black Arrow. And, 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 and there I think, this is where I think um, they're protected against the Legolas factor, or the Torio factor, frankly, for that matter, by changing the nature of the Black Arrow, by turning the Black Arrow from just a regular Arrow, which was black, and special um, by turning that into a different form of weaponry altogether, um, into a kind of th- a special kind of thing which could hurt the dragon because it was much larger and more powerful. Um, I think they've made Smaug thereby Lego Centurial proof um, because it doesn't matter how accurate they are; just, their weapons are incapable of, of damaging him enough. Um,
1: they did say, didn't they? It wasn't the point made that only the black arrow could pierce the skin.
2: Yeah, yeah, because it's the only thing that's. And, and again, the, the the way that they the way that they you know physicalized that you know the, you know instead of instead of making it some kind of um, you know some kind of faded or, or, or sort of mystic thing or or you know uh, prophesied thing or something like that, you know, they made that a purely mechanical thing, right? You know, only. This kind of weapon, only this kind of this kind of, of missile shot from that kind of weapon, is large, strong, and powerful enough to pierce his hide and kill him. And again, seeing this the size of Smaug, it is very easy to believe that, um, and yeah. quite plus, difficult plus to imagine a regular taking f- him down.
1: One of the very first things we see in Lake Town is the windlass on top of the, the right. master's house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think
0: narratively, I I know I know. Several of our listeners are not sold on the windlass and, and still um, are pining for like, oh, maybe he'll miss with the windlass again, and then he'll pull out his bow and he'll, you know, like I, I, I but I think I think narratively and of course visually, that's just not going to work.
2: No, just, it I think, really.
0: I think for for what they've set up. It will be anticlimactic and disappointing to the to the viewing audience, um, not to not to you people, riddles in the dark listeners who are well versed in the lore, and you know I mean like, but but to to everybody else, it'll be it'll be weird and anticlimactic. It'll be a betrayal of our expectations if he doesn't kill Smaug with the Windlass.
1: Hey, not having Bard, if they're not going to have Bard kill the dragon with the Windlass, they might as well keep Thorin alive at the end. Per the petition. Yeah,
2: yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> So you're just sort of drawing a drawing a, 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 a like an absurdity parallel there, right? Uh,
1: ex- yes, okay. I mean I just it's like you you have to have one. By the way, that uh, that uh, petition showed up on the Tolkien Society Facebook page, and the members of the, the members of the page have turned it into like the longest running thread. They call it the deathless death the, the uh, deathless Thorn thread of silliness. <laughs> <laughs> that was their reaction to it. They just like took it and just ran with it, and just like they talk about everything under this one thread. It just keeps going on and on and on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. No. It's. um... Uh, I, that is such a touchingly misguided idea, but. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. Or misguidedly anyway. touching idea or something. but um,
1: so, so the thing is that then, I, I'm back to sort of, back back to the topic of this particular episode. Yes. Um, I just don't see, I mean, I could see us, okay, the one thing I was going to say, David mentioned earlier that he had thought maybe we might roll back in time. And actually talking about the earthquake and, and that kind of thing, they, I could see them maybe rolling back to that. Yeah, to the earthquake, you know, where we see that maybe from some other different um, viewpoints and then going forward, because it's not that much time, I don't think, from the earthquake to the time that Smaug is going to be sighted coming their way.
2: Probably not, no. Um, but it's still, we still could have, because um, see, you know, I mean, I don't know, I mean, it seems to me like we get we can get the effect of time dilation as well as time compression at times in these films. Um, yes. You know, so... I, like, for instance, uh, the whole... Um, okay, uh, Smaug is rampaging after us. Uh, w- let's go down to the forges and start a login complex process uh, and, like... <laughs> Bowen is going to make exploding grenades and stuff. Like, yeah, give me 15 seconds. I can whip up some grenades. But again, like... That's right. And then 15 seconds takes three minutes of screen time. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I don't think that the fact that Smaug is already on the way, you know, that that basically we did see Lake Town with the glow on the mountainside, um, which I'd forgotten the glow on the mountainside also. I, I remember the earthquake, but forgot the glow. Um... Uh, but, but, anyway, yeah, so even, even given that we've seen Lake Town with Smaug already clearly in the air on the way down, that doesn't mean that there isn't plenty of time for some more scenes, uh, to happen. Now, I mean, it does mean we don't have time for like, you know, a careful consultation, you know, band comes in and says, what, what, what? What will we do? And Toriel's like, let's sit down and talk about this for a long time. I mean, we don't have time for that. But do we have time for them to run out of Bard's house and go over and, uh, you know, uh, essentially assault the prison to set Bard free um, before the dragon arrives? I think so. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we yeah, definitely have time think, for that sequence. The more the more I think about it, the more I think we have at least the same, at least the amount of time. Uh, covered by from the moment of the first earthquake and the and the they the first see the glow. So like that last the last instant in time that we, we had barred in the prison. We have from then until Smaug's arrival, and I, I can see them stretching that out because I think I, I think it will be more dramatic if um, if if they if someone spots him or if there's like a slow dawning on the people of Lake Town that. That that the dragon's coming. That you know somebody spots movement on the mountain, and then they start seeing something off in the distance flying through the sky. And, the, and you allow, as opposed to it just being like, "Oh God, there's fire coming down us from the sky out of nowhere, totally unexpected." Right. Instead, have people have this slow, Sight. slow a slow yeah. build of dread. Um, right. You know, first I they like think see... it's a
1: thrush, then they think it's a raven. And <laughs> <Yeah. days laughs>
0: I would really like to see. I'd like to see you know, like like. Um, Alfred knocking on um, the the master's door, saying, uh, "You know, uh, we're getting some odd reports of like, um, uh, you know, something in the sky." Or even Alfred coming and saying, um, "Oh, they broke Bart out of prison," and, and it's starting with that, starting with like, yes. like you know, the master uh, the master calling all his forces together to capture the escaped prisoner. And and the and the you know and then the reports starting to come in saying like uh, there's a giant thing in the sky flying towards us and and seeing the master initially be dismissive being like oh come on give me a break. and then it becomes more and more obvious oh crap there's a dragon coming the master continuing in his denial saying well I don't care um, you know uh, task number one is recapture Bard and some of the and some of the guards saying are you nuts uh, we're not doing that there's a dragon coming like. And maybe there's not enough screen time for all of that, but that would be kind of cool. A nice right. little sort of slow build.
2: As Brian says, Bars escaped from prison, and also we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, one thing that I think, you know, we got a taste of this, but I hope it was only a foretaste and not the only taste we're going to get. Um, the scene in the book where people are looking up at the glow, the golden glow on the side of the mountain and saying, the king under the mountain is forging gold. And people are misinterpreting it and starting to cheer. And Bard, the grim-voiced man, is the one who stands up and says, you know, you fools, it's the dragon. And he's the one who warns them and he's, you know, to arms, to arms. And he, like, steps forth and rallies the people. And thus, they, uh, the dragon did not find them entirely unprepared. Oh, um, now, see, that that scene I, have a, but, I have
1: an alternate view of that, which is that Bard is still in prison at the time that they cite the dragon, and he is frustrated because not only is he right, has he right, you know, he's like he called it, but he also is, like, powerless. He, he's still stuck in the jail and he can't get out. I mean, I could see that happening, where there's a few seconds of that before somebody shows up to spring. Hmm.
2: Right now, as I said, we got a foretaste of that. I mean, when the earthquake happens and stuff, you know, Bard speaking right, to the right, to the right. to the jailers, right? You know, we already had Bard saying like, um, right. The dragon's coming. Um, you know, I really need to get out of here. Um, but but again, I I I hope that that's not the only taste of that that we get. Um, because remember, in the book, what this leads up to is it's not just the fact that Bard. Stands and fights to the last and shoots the dragon and kills him. That leads everybody to say, King Bard, King Bard. He's already taken leadership. You know, we see him rallying the people. He's already acting like a king and hero even before his last miraculous shot. Yes. And yeah, I, we need to see
0: the, the disintegration of the current leadership structure. Yes. Sort of their abdication of their responsibility
1: right. for the defense. Because the master's going to lose it, right? I mean, he's going to lose. He's just not going to know what to do and yeah. be all... I do
0: I do kind of agree with you, Corey. I actually, the more I think about it, I don't know how it will work on screen, but I would like some rendition of, of that exact thing, the... Um, of, Bard, the grin faced man, saying, "You idiots! It's not the the treasure. It's the uh, it's the dragon." I would like to see a confrontation between um, uh, the master and Alfred and and Bard uh, in front of the people, right? Uh, before the dragon arrives, like one well, one last thing where it looks like, you know, where where essentially maybe Bard is cornered, and then you you catastrophically the dragon shows up and. No longer will they arrest Bard. Oh, you're free to go. Congratulations! There's a dragon. Well,
2: thinking about the timing of this, you know what I wonder is, again, you know, because we don't, we, the, the, there's time for a jailbreak sequence. I think before Smaug really arrives and starts to attack in earnest. Um, but here's what I'm wondering: if the master is going to be distracted by the arrival of the dragons, the dragon will be spotted and. We'll come in. Maybe there'll be some, so. Maybe we'll get a shot of you know the people of Lake Town, like you know, waking and looking out their windows and, and 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 coming out and staring up in terror, and the master there, you know, and them looking to him for leadership, and him not knowing what to do, or or you know, him even getting caught sneaking away, maybe by the people, and you know, and then Bard then bard comes in like a you catastrophe you know bard is, has been released from prison you know right, the, the jailbreak right. has happened um and and then bard comes in and like in that moment provides that sort of leadership uh and rallies the people to fight um while the master is slinking away um I think that the, I, the the timing I would think of that sequence could be that we could have a first a jailbreak sequence, then a not just a Bard sprinting across Lake Town to the Windlass and never talking to anybody, but enough time for Bard to be released to you know to, to yeah to take some kind of command um, to be you know to be that contrast again in in, in the book. Uh, you know the, the the contrast which was so sharp and so important to the people of Lake Town, and which has also been set up in the film. You know the contrast between how the Master responds to the dragon's arrival and how Bard responds to the dragon's arrival, and I, I think that we're still going to need that. We're still going to need to see that. Remember, we're ultimately, I assume, going to be leading up to you know, an army of people from Lake Town in funny helmets, uh, marching on the, on the, the lonely mountain, presumably under Mm -hmm. the leadership of Bard. And so, and how are we going to get there from here? And there has to be a real change in leadership as much as the people might seem to respect Bard. Um, you know, when he steps out from among them and, and, and speaks his piece in the town square, they're not, following him i mean he's not in fact a rabble rouser uh despite the uh despite the master's uh fears so we have to get there and i think that has to be through not just the fact of killing the dragon but um uh, but the but but acts of leadership and 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 apparent you know bravery during the fight so um anyway i do think that there's um uh, there's 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 sort of an opportunity for those two separate sequences.
1: We should probably move on to the riddle. What do you think? I mean, it's still kind of in keeping with what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we can do that. And the the, the riddle kind of picks up on uh, the the four loose ends that I was talking about. So, right. Right. Um. Yeah. So Trish, you want you want to exp- explain? Yes. The, uh,
1: Yes, so we've, we've kind of been talking about this, and some of the listeners have already even given their own answers <laughs> to the riddle. Um, how will bard escape prison? Not when, but how will he escape prison? A, he escapes on his own. B, the dwarves get him out, perhaps with help from Tariel. So either the dwarves by themselves or the dwarves with Tariel. C, bard's son gets him out. D, a combination of B and C. So bard's son and the dwarves with or without Tariel together get him out or e none of the above and none of the above covers some of the ones we've talked about you know some folks in the in the chat and the comments have said you know alfred may spring him the master may may get him out voluntarily tariel by herself might so there's still some possibilities it's just that we could have gone on to like you know m in our choices in terms of all the of people so legolas might return legolas might return bold may accidentally get him out um So we just felt, you know, that these four, he escapes on his own, the dwarves get him out, with or without Tariel, Bard's son gets him out, or the combination of dwarves and Bard's son, um, seemed the most likely, and then E kind of covers a bunch of other possibilities that that could conceivably happen. Okay. Right? Is that good? Did I do good?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the question (laughs) is, the, the question to me is what is going to be the... The sort of, the overall narrative, you know, thrust of that scene. Um, That is to say, is this going to be Bard and the dwarves and Toriel working together? Because that's something that has implications far beyond the mere fact of the release of Bard from Prison, right? So again, in trying to think about this, I'm trying to think of the whole big picture. Because this is, you know, I assume this is going to happen at, the, at near the very beginning of the film, if not at the very opening of the film. Um, this is going to be happening very soon. Um I actually, I've already forgotten what I voted for last week and how the film starts. I, I, I have this policy, strict policy, of completely forgetting about my votes almost as soon as I give them. Um,
1: do you want to know, or do you want to stay in mystery? Uh,
2: what did I say? Did I say Dal Guldur? Let
1: me go look. I'll go look.
2: That's what I was thinking just now, but my mind that's, changes all the time. Anyway, right. doesn't matter. So... You yep. I did? You did. Okay, good. There Diddy.
1: All... Dal Guldur. Okay. All
2: right. Very good. Um, anyway, so... Somewhere wow. near the very beginning. Apparently
1: I picked E. I don't remember that. <laughs> none, none of the above. <laughs>
2: none of the above. What the
0: heck was I thinking?
1: Well, uh, you were going for the offices of Grub, Grub, and Burroughs. That's
2: right. Oh, yeah.
1: yes. That's right.
0: <laughs> yes, I was going with my wishful thinking.
2: <laughs> that's right. Which is always the best policy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, so if we have near the very beginning of the film, some dwarves... An elf of Lake Town uh, working together to rescue Bard, who is seems destined to be the captain of one of the armies in the you know one of the the armies initially ranged against Thorin uh, in, and the dwarves in the mountain. That has serious implications. You can avoid that by having Bard either escape on his own or having his son. Rescue him independently. Bane right. is kind of the dark horse, I think, in this because he, he vanished, <clears throat> but he's at large. He has to be reconnected with Bard because he's got the arrow, right? So he and Bard have to reconnect somehow and somewhere. Um, and you know, it, it it would be kind of cool. It would be kind of a, a, a kind of touching for um, for Bane to be the one who springs him. Um, you know, by some method or other, um, that, would be fu- <clears throat> that would be fun. That would be fun, and that would also have the effect of having Bard be in no way indebted to the dwarves. Because remember, you know, Bard uh, is strongly in the anti-dwarf camp. I mean, he. What has been set up so forcibly by that showdown in the town square with Thorin and the master um, is the fact that he, he already is blaming Thorin and the dwarves uh, for rousing the dragon against them before it's even happened. Right, Once the dragon actually does go down to Lake Town and destroy the town uh, and kill lots of people there you know now the the fury that bard already had worked up in the second film uh is going to be even higher so the idea that bard is going to be out for blood um and ready to like do a punitive strike against thorin um you know with much more animus against him than he had in the book um we're ready for that i mean that's already there so again if the dwarves rescue him that complicates that. And, you know, that might be a good thing, that might be a bad thing, but it does definitely complicate it.
1: Yeah, you know, I originally had been sort of tending toward the dwarves breaking them out because my thought had been, what the heck are they there for after all? You know, why are they in like town <laughs> after all? Um... And we do have, you know, Feli and Keeley, assuming Keeley is functional, and Bofor, who, you know, are very acrobatic, and they did that whole thing about getting into the armory to get the weapons, so they've demonstrated that. So kind of, that was kind of where my head was going. Um, So as you're talking, I totally get it. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm wavering that direction, but then I'm thinking, okay, so what are the dwarves going to be doing? I mean, why are they there? Are they just going to watch and sort of, you know, be, you know, I mean, I I don't know. I'm not sure. I I could see, I could see, 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 you know, where, or D, D, where Bane is maybe the, the one who comes to the dwarves and says, come help me get my father out, you know, right. uh, kind of thing. Maybe he kind of leads the charge and the dwarves help him. That would probably be the best um, uh, compromise in my mind for how Because head's do, by.
2: do, do the dwarves and, I mean, Toriel obviously doesn't know what's going on because she just arrived, um, but do the dwarves and Bard's daughters even know he's in prison? I mean, Bane is the only one who knows he's been taken, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's
1: true. That's right. So
2: oh.
1: they—they still think he's out, right? He left to go do something, didn't he? When when they let when he left his home,
2: what did he? Did he? Was he going to the, to the, to the windlass? Was he going to man the windlass? Is that what he left to do?
1: I can't remember. Yeah, Dave, you've watched yeah, this thing over correct. and over and over, haven't you? <laughs> watch
2: it again yeah. let us know yeah he takes I the will. arrow
1: yes to go to the windless. okay yeah 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 okay and
2: That's
1: then when he, he realizes they're out to get him he hands the arrow to bane and says hide this and yeah yeah
2: yeah so yeah.
1: so basically we need bane to go back to the house
0: and tell them what's going on so yeah, I I think imagine... maybe i'm
1: going for that combo of b and c i mean i just can't imagine so I, can I imagine I, bane
0: breaking him out by himself
1: and I'm thinking, I think we've said this before, when it comes to the siege, we've theorized that these dwarves these dwarves that are left in Lake Town, may actually end up being more sympathetic to the people and be trying to speak on their behalf to Thorin. That's yes. not going to work, but especially, that, they may, that may be the role they have.
0: Especially given Philip of
2: Boyan's recent comments. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, we can talk about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah okay. as soon as
2: we can talk about that. Dave, <laughs> do you want to summarize them? Yeah,
0: basically, basically, they just she talked about leaving some dwarves behind, you know, the big change in the book, and and I think that the 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 narrative reasons were twofold. Uh, one, because they wanted wanted there to be some characters that we've we, actually you know, that Pete just spent put an quotation.
1: Pete just wrote in the
0: quote, yeah 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 okay here we go here's a here's a quote from it from Pete. Uh, we made the decision so we had experienced the attack on Lake Town through the eyes of people we've come a long way with. We wanted some of the dwarves to understand what happened in that firestorm, the holocaust that rains down upon Lake Town. Beaufort, James Nesbitt, comes more into his own in the third film. A rift begins to open up, and I can't say much more without going into spoilers for film three, but it's primarily because we needed him to be there when the dragon attacks. So basically we called it. There's going to be a faction of dwarves that are anti-Thorin. Anti-crazy Thorin.
1: Pro-Lake Town.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that, that pretty much confirms what we assumed was being... Set up. yeah set up so so yeah she's she's confirmed obvious. that what we concluded was obvious is in fact the case um, in other words that the the you know the, the different factions at the siege of the Lonely Mountain are going to be each one of them divided in various different ways um, but I think I think the other the other thing we can
0: conclude from this is that in the scenes leading up to the dragon attack and during the dragon attack, There is going to be some serious uh, uh, dwarf screen times, specifically Bofur.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that seems seems sort of inevitable. And we can come back and that's a question that we will discuss in our next episode. Um, You know, what will the dwarves be doing during the Battle of Lake Town? Um, But...
1: So, I mean, back to this riddle. I mean, yeah, I could then see yeah, the exactly taking some part in it. You know, but I I'm, yeah. I'm actually tending maybe toward the combination cuz I just can't imagine Bane being left out of the jailbreak scene. I would think he would be part of it.
0: Well, I it certainly there seems like there would be no way for them to know he's even in prison.
1: Right. Um, exactly. Without Bane. Nor,
0: right. nor to, nor to understand. I mean, maybe his daughters uh, would understand this, but it, it seems like Bane is the person in possession of the key. knowledge. if, 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 if indeed Bard is going to escape from prison without just simply watching the prison burn down and then like <laughs> jumping in the water, right? If, if he's going to be broken out um, before the dragon attacks, the only person who has all of the knowledge necessary for that to occur is Bane. Yeah, he's right. the one that knows, he's the one that's fully privy to, to what's going on and what Bard needs to do to defend the town, and he's the only one, on top of that, uh, among the amongst the protagonists, who knows um, uh, that Bard's been taken and has been imprisoned. The only other thing you could imagine is there's a change of heart on behalf of, like, one of the guards or Alfred or somebody to say, uh, maybe we should let Bard out, but um, so it seems like Bane has to be involved, even if, even if it's just to go back and say, hey guys, Bard's in prison, and then maybe at that point the dwarves and Tari will say, okay, we'll get him out. Bane, you stay here and take care of your
2: sisters. You're not coming. You know, one, one version of the non-jailbreak scenario that I would like, um, in general, I, I feel like the jailbreak scenario kind of has to happen, um, mm-hmm. but the one thing that would be cool would be I mean, all we saw was Bard just saying, like, hey, come on, let me out. Like, you don't understand what's about to happen. And the guards kind of ignoring him. Um, if Bard were actually to win the guards over, you know, like, say somebody spies the dragon or something, or, or you know, if we get, like, a speech from Bard, um, you know, basically calling the guards to their senses and, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, obeying the, the you know... Obeying the master, you know the master who doesn't care about any of this stuff and doing these, you know, and and, and the dragons coming and we have to take action. Like if basically, because Bar- Bard, um, <laughs> Bard was 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 a member of. I mean, he 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 was, um, he was involved. I mean, he was he was he was he was like a captain in Lake Town. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he was like a a, a a military captain in Lake Town, um, in the book. He was clearly a leader of the of, of the resistance. You know, he was he was the center of the resistance against Smaug. Um, whereas Bard, though he's respected and though he's the only one sort of with a spine uh, in Lake Town, as I said, he's not somebody who people obey. You know, he, he's not in command of anybody um, in Lake Town. So uh, I could stomach a non jailbreak scenario if. It is like basically Bard kind of taking charge, you know. If he like delivers a speech to the guards that really gets through to them, and they become like from then on, uh, Bard is essentially, you know, the uh, the de facto captain of the guard, and they're they're now following him instead of the master. And that becomes you know sort of the turning point of you know the people of Lake Town to choose to follow Bard instead of uh, instead of the master, which is what then leads to the resistance against Smaug and ultimately uh, to that. I mean, I kind of. I would, in some ways, like to see Bard not fighting against Smaug as a a, a rogue, solitary figure, but yeah, to see him right. being a leader of a the people of Lake Town. Yeah. Um,
1: now, now listen, Andy Higgins has a very good argument for Bane being the one to break his dad out. Yeah. He said Bane's name comes from the old Norse-meaning mover, so he could move his dad out of prison. I mean, what better than a philological argument? There
2: you go. There right. it is. Yep. I'm convinced. <laughs> Totally convinced. <laughs> I'm totally convinced. So there convinced. you go. Yep. We're done. Yep.
1: Okay. Good on, goodbye, folks.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 I can't top that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well,
1: I'm gonna go with the combo. I've decided I'm going with the combo, which is hey, G-
2: uh, Trish, I a let's, post the, uh, let's post the let's post the.
1: Well, do you want to say what poll. we're gonna do before we do it, or you want people to vote before we say? I mean, no it's just vote.
2: posted so that everybody can see the options to make sure everyone is is reminded of them
1: well it, it, uh, posting it also opens up the
2: yeah poll. I know that's okay we can uh, p- people can vote so, okay our right, the very first vote we got was for was for C was for for B? That,
1: that was probably Andy <laughs> <laughs> right. was Andy plausible? was quick on the trigger
2: there
0: what uh. plausible none of the above can be imagined?
1: Oh, a lot know, actually. There's
0: like a third of the people voting for that. I'm really curious. Well, I to know think what this one think about having
1: talking a guard into springing him, I think, is an E. That's not him breaking out of prison on his own. That's him influencing a, a random passerby. You voted
0: for E. Post what you what your theory is in the thing. Yes, yes. Special, so oh, so of course. It, you, know,
2: you you don't have David to be a say,
0: dragon yeah. blast breaks him out. Okay. Okay. Yeah, two people. The
2: first two out. people, both Brian, Brian and David, were suggesting that.
0: Okay. And then Luke... Massed Alfred See, the dragon busts Luke, the so Luke's own
1: Corey is totally stealing my E-premise, which was... Oh, gosh, Luke, what was it? I can't remember what Corey said now.
0: First swoop. But don't you think... Don't people feel like if he... If Bard just kind of happens to get out of prison because the dragon burned it down or knocked it down? That seems so... Like uh, dramatically boring. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I that's, about the, that's about ah, the that's about right, the
2: least okay. satisfying scenario I can imagine. Like, I'm not saying that it's necessarily the least likely, but it seems the least the, the least narratively satisfying scenario. It, wow! It, does and, it
0: seem like something Peter Jackson would do? Wouldn't doesn't he seem to invest more in in his characters? Like, wouldn't he want to go the character route?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, oh,
0: that okay, uh, Anthony Campbell, that did yeah okay, that is the one thing that is the one I think really interesting <laughs> leave, possibility.
1: Leave everybody in suspense. <laughs> what if
0: yeah, what if they make us think Bard's dead?
2: And then he emerges from the rubble just like he emerges from the lake from the lake, you know in the yeah. book. Um, I can see that. Maybe. I can't believe nobody has voted for B, the dwarves breaking him out. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm picking. Me too. Are you? Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm totally going for that too. Um, I I sentimentally,
1: still have 35% haven't voted, so 35% will
2: Sentimentally, I love C. Um, and there's a part of me, though I have to admit it's kind of like the perverse part that is always cheering for extraordinarily unlikely things, Um but <clears throat> that part of me really wants to see the emergence of Bane, son of Bard, as a, as like a proto-hero here, um, you know, who, like, comes in and rescues his dad. And then, you know, the two of them, you know, so it's like a family thing. Because, you know, they're both they're the descendants of Girion. Remember, Bane was the one who was speaking of the tradition that Girion hit the dragon and you know, he was the one who talked about the loose scale and everything, so, you know, you can totally, you know, get into the into like the 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 line of Girion redeems, you know, the fact that Girion couldn't shoot the dragon, you know, failed to shoot the dragon. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ways in which I find that really compelling and I really, really like it. But Yeah <laughs> I love I
0: really like No wises theory. <laughs> okay, what is it? I have some theories. One of them is this. Based on, based on you know, time compression and di- you know the fact that, that they play with time in the films, Bart is put to trial sentence, serves his time, and is released from prison. For the of-
2: <laughs> 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 Bart is released on parole. He's <laughs> released on parole before the dragon gets there. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yep, yep. Well, we keep saying, you know, time and distance don't mean all that much in Peter Jackson films.
0: Also, uh, those of you voting for E and then saying your theory is that during the course of the dragon attack, Bard will escape because it gets
2: destroyed or whatever, wouldn't that count as A? I don't think so. I mean, the escaping, well... I would think escapes on his own would mean, like, he... Picks the lock and picks the lock, or bonks a
1: guard he, on the head and steals the keys. He,
0: convi- he convinces the dog holding. I was his just
1: going to <laughs> say that he does look like Luke, uh, like uh, what's his name? Uh, Will, what's his name? Right. So that would oh, yeah. be a good Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, yeah. Prospect.
0: Um. Will Turner. Would so him just can... for the record for B? I I mean I personally think. Bane will be sort of involved in the sense that he will go back to the house and tell them that he that Bard needs to be broken out. But I, I think that it's hard to it seems very irresponsible for them to take him along. I'm yeah, pretty sure I, that they will. Well, he sure or they, he,
1: he may insist on going on his own. I mean, he may. Insist, well,
0: somebody's got to stay back and keep an eye on uh, Keeley, right? Assuming I, Kiwi doesn't assume, spring up off the table yeah, I'm and, and thinking, I'm contribute. thinking he's going
1: to spring up off the table. That's and true. He Bye. has
0: been magically healed. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, well, I
1: don't know. We've got... Uh, we're five minutes in and 72% have voted. That could mean that there's just folks that have departed or whatever. Shall I close it and share the results? Well, there is this... No, it's there, okay. I think there are
0: some, like, vestigial logins from, like, from like yeah. my, my disastrous first attempt right. to log in. And stuff yeah, yeah,
2: right. yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I know we're still getting a couple more votes here. <laughs> um, I would specify. I was hoping for his choice. I would specify in order to distinguish between uh, between B and D. Um, I would. I would. I would specify. Ban, Ban has to come along. Ban has to be there right. at the jailbreak. Right. If if he comes back and says they've got Dad in prison, and you know Toriel no, yeah. and Beaufort are like, okay, stay here with your sisters. We'll go get him. Right. Then it, then the answer is B. It's not D. I agree. Um I agree, but I think Bain's actually going to be with them. He's going yeah. to
1: either uh be a, a lookout or um he's going to have to show them where the jail is. Um you know, so I think he'll be with them.
2: Yeah, uh, they've already cased the joint. No. No. <laughs> so no. you guys
1: are done you're going with B, right? Both of you are. Well,
2: I'm I'm still I'm still kind of wavering. I'm like 75% B, but I'm like 25% wanting C. You know, I would just I would l- C is the. What, C is the really, one I would really, love to picking,
0: have. You're picking C over. I mean, if I didn't go B, I would just go D. For me, it's just a question of whether whether
2: Bain goes along with the dwarves. Well,
1: but Andy was Andy's argument was this sort of the father son thing, kind of
2: cool. Exactly. You know? Yeah. yeah but, no, the line but, of Gyrion, man. You know, this is the yeah. the, the redemption yeah, of the line then, of Gyrion. Yeah, but then you get the then you but
0: then then basically you have the dwarves doing nothing, which which. Just doesn't seem to. I don't know. I can't imagine them. There's still the,
2: other things they, they could do.
0: Sit around. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually playing. Yeah, they're playing. They're playing poker back
2: in. Map out the escape routes. You know, they can. Uh, 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 there are definitely things they could be doing. I I can't think of them at this particular moment, but they're they certainly <laughs> exist.
1: Taking taking some naked baths and the
2: no. In the <laughs> my 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 main uh deliberation between b and c is not between which answer i believe more probable but rather which answer i believe to be you prefer, more, oh, more Go cool. with your heart, Corey. Yeah. This has worked brows, so well brows, in the past, Corey. Go for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> go with my heart because it has never led me astray before. <sighs> Though i I'm turning
1: out, out those certificates like crazy.
2: Though I still hold out that the craziest answer that I ever gave was correct. Uh, yeah. My, my Thrayon is still alive, living and uncaptured, living as a hermit uh, uh, answer. It's still looking good, I gotta say. It's still looking good. But no, I'm going to go with B. You're going to go with B? I'm going to go with okay. B. Um, and I don't think Bandage is going to be left behind at the house. Um, but, uh, here's my, here's my, here's, okay, here's, here's my, here's my reconciliation. My reconciliation of my heart and my head. My head tells me the dwarves and Torio are going to break him out of jail. My heart wants Ban to be really involved and to see the whole redemption of the line of Girion. So, here's the scenario. Ban comes back and says, they've got Dad in prison, and they're like, okay, I, I, will go rescue him but he remember ban has been left as the custodian of the black arrow he's the one who has you know he's been told to yeah. keep it safe that is yep. his sacred duty so he is going to take the black arrow to the windless and await Me his father at the there windless. yes He's gonna. So so you know, his job is to keep the Black Arrow safe and to get it to the Windlass. They're not gonna bring it with them to the prison, you know, because they don't want to. They don't want to. They don't want to jeopardize it. So he's his his job. He's still given it a, a a task and you know a difficult and dangerous task. Make your way without getting caught to the Windlass. Uh, and keep the black arrow there in preparation for your father's arrival. We'll go get him, and we'll send him over to you. And then you shoot the dragon, ready, break. So he has a role, and we still get the like redemption of the line of Giri. you know, you have like uh, younger descendant handing the black arrow to his father, Giri's older descendant, and you know, and and they shoot the arrow, like, and have like a little father-son high-five redemption of the line of Girion, uh when the dragon is killed. That can still happen without Ben being the one to break him out of prison. so I say <laughs> there we go.
1: And just remember, your vote is, is not binding. this is just this is a this is kind of a little perk of you guys you know dialing in to listen to or coming joining us live to listen today, but your final vote in September is the one that's going to count.
0: No, but but we wrote down we will we will we're writing down each and one of your names. <laughs> and, uh, if you change your answer, we will we will mock you for it. No, no, we're not. We're not.
1: That means you can't change your answers. That's terrible.
0: I'm not going to.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Ironically, Ryan Edward says Wheatley.
1: ironically, the dwarves are back at Bard's place trying to make a fire to keep warm. Keep, to warm. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Actually, in, in an extreme, an extreme instance of irony, the dwarves accidentally set fire to Lake Town, and it turns out by the time Smaug gets there, it's already burned down. <laughs>
1: By the way, on a completely unrelated note, I have to say, you know, we think about Smaug the Golden emerging from the mountain and then he shakes off the gold. Think about, you know, there's like a whole field of gold nuggets there on the, on the slopes of Erebor. Imagine and one day somebody coming across that.
2: Awesome. The, the river is flowing with gold. You know, now you have the bed of the river, uh, uh, you know, the, they'll be panning, uh, you know, the upper That's reaches right. of the uh, of There'll the be a whole for... gold rush. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, because of Smaug's little.
1: Yeah, because he shook shook it all off, and then it's yeah, all you're all going to turn He's into just little nuggets.
2: Scattered
0: it all over the uh, the the valley of the desolation.
1: That's right. The decorations oh. of Smaug. <laughs> that that's true.
0: Will they see. will they see like some kind of like. Uh, so what? What is time of day? Is this the middle of the night or is like middle sunrise the coming? Middle soon? of night. I
1: think it's middle of the night. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: I was going to say. Would it be – maybe the sun will start to peek up over the mountain and then they'll see the sunlight reflecting off of the little – the gold all that he's scattered all <laughs> over the valley and be like, look. <laughs> look at the gold. We can see it reflecting. And then Far will be like, yeah, you don't see the giant shadow flying above it? You
2: idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we are out of time. So we should it- – uh... By
0: the way, Corey, did you see did you see they want to uh, they want to coin another term, um, uh, uh, combining fanfic and crit fic, like fan crit? <laughs> fan crit. <laughs> basically basically being unnecessarily critical of uh, of fans. <laughs> I think that's still just I th- I think if you're I think if you're reasoning about what what was done in a film, or or what will be done in a film, based on what you expect the audience reaction to be? I think that's still crit
2: fake. Uh, yeah, but you know, if you're just uh, if you're just if you're just being critical as a fan, that's a good thing. So you know, yes, that's yeah. true. nothing wrong with
0: fan. Fact, no, but they,
2: s- I think, I think what they're getting at
0: is my my contention that like you know, oh, they would never do this because the the average movie going fan would hate it or something or wouldn't follow it or right, like. right. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I'm walking a fine line, people. Okay, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think, you know, I do, but I think I think it's perfectly fair to comment when when you know if uh, when we're considering like a potential dramatic element, and if it seems to unnecessarily rely on people having seen the film or, or presupposes some knowledge or, or familiarity with the with the general Tolkien legendarium, I think it's reasonable to say that seems unlikely to me because I don't think that would work as a film element because, you know, like, you know, that seems like a poor choice for what should be a standalone film that doesn't require you to have read the book. I think that's right.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think people, I, yeah, I mean, I, I do think, you know, one can, um, one can be too cautious in, in trying to avoid any, any scent of critfic that is it's it's critfic if you're saying um, you know i i think peter jackson is just trying to you know appeal to 16 year old boys and so therefore that's why he did this again that that to me is much more about analysis of the film than it is about mm-hmm. anticipation of what's going to happen when you're trying to guess right. what's going to happen you have to you have to go on something you know right. and yes. and so dave exactly as you're saying to say Um, Here's what I believe, you know, I believe that this would or would not work successfully in a film. Um, And so, therefore, I'm going to guess that they're going to choose to do the thing that is going to work well in a film rather than the thing that isn't. And so, therefore, I think they're going to do this. That I would not describe as crit fic at all. Um, Or What about what I was going to say? I was going to say, um, go ahead. I was
1: going
2: to say, or, or... or even again to be looking, as we've done before, looking back and saying, "What are the tendencies that we've seen in the, you know, in the choices that Peter Jackson has made in times past, uh, okay. in the other films that he has made?" Um, that's and, what and I was going to. How might straight, that yeah. then inform what we guess he's going to be doing later on? And that again, that's not crit fic. That's analysis. You know, that's that's, I mean, that's looking at what has been and, and 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 you know, wondering if this if he's going to follow the same patterns.
1: Yeah, because one of my kind of rules of thumb, I suppose, or something that I use as a criterion is Jackson, historically, through, through Lord of the Rings and Into the Hobbit, and I have not seen his other films, but for all I know, King Kong, other otherwise, he, he's a suspense builder. He loves having edge of seat kind of, you know, there's a lot of that in the films. And so that's kind of one of my criteria is that seems to be a pattern in the way that he develops his storylines um so i was wondering i didn't know if that was critfic or if it was analysis sounds like maybe i it could be analysis
2: right right yeah yeah no i mean i think that that's 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 perfectly legitimate again remember the the whole <clears throat> the whole central idea of critfic is that it's something that people do in order to essentially avoid doing analysis of the film like it's it's crit, critfic is always an easier way out you know instead mm-hmm. of instead of trying to explain you know you feel like something is 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 bad you know you you don't like something about a film and instead of really trying to explain what makes it bad, what is it that's going on there you just <clears throat> wave your hands at you know some factor that you're assuming either in its process of composition or in the motivations of the of the of the artist um, <clears throat> that's that's where the the real evil of Critfic lies in replacing analysis with sort of sketchy guesswork, um, right, which yeah. doesn't even really answer the question or address Giving the issue, and
1: and coming up with unknown, you know, guessing at motivations of Jackson that lie completely outside of the storytelling.
2: Right. Exactly. I mean, to, you know, to, I, I could, you know, this is this is you know, was it was you know, this whole. Uh, you know, categorization was prompted by the people who were responding to the desolation of Smog saying, "I thought that movie was really bad because they were just trying to make it into an action movie to appeal to teenage right. boys. yeah like, right. that's not an analysis of why it was bad. you haven't even shown and said anything right. about why it was bad, and you're just jumping to a guess about what motivated them to make it bad or to you know so th- that's that's the kind of thing that really so again it's it's okay to think about um to look at patterns of what an artist does, what might be motivating them I mean it's no different you know from saying you know from reading Tolkien and saying yep. things like you know you can see the general a general trend in Tolkien's work of you know uh, you know small hands doing the great tasks because they must that's a trend you know so you you, know, you you can say tolkien likes that theme so you know we see that theme coming up again and again if we were um you know, if if you know if we were doing a show like this between the release of the Two Towers and the Return of the King, it would be okay to you know refer back to that idea and say, I think Sam Gamgee might play a really big role in the Return of the King. Yeah. You know, um, that would be that would that, that that would not be critfic, but a perfectly uh, but a perfectly uh, good piece of analysis. Um, or
1: you know, or to to one of the points that you make in your book about the dwarves being so clueless. You know, going into this adventure, right? Um, I suppose Critfic could be something like, well, you know, obviously Tolkien didn't want to, you know, spend a lot of time fleshing out their motives, or you know what I right. mean. That would today right. would be Critfic, right?
2: Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. Well, we really should let people go. Um, we've uh, we've we have overstayed our time here, um, but I do want to end uh, with uh, one announcement. A lot of you have uh, heard about this already, but I just wanted to. To make sure um, we have officially opened enrollment for the summer classes uh, at Mythgard this semester, and they uh, um, they they've been uh, there's been a, a lot of enthusiasm already, and that's been really great. So uh, you know, I encourage you to take a look at those. Um, the three classes that we're offering this coming summer, I'm doing my class on the Canterbury Tales, so it's I'm continuing my two semester Chaucer class. Um, that class, by the way, and a lot of people have asked, it's not. Cumulative. There's not designed to be any kind of prereq or anything. It's a two semester class only in the sense that, um, you know, I'm covering the sort of the earlier works in Chaucer's career in the first class and, uh, you know, his later work, The Canterbury Tales, in the second class. So um, if you haven't taken the first one, it's okay. You can still take the Canterbury Tales class, um, which should be really great fun. I'm, I'm, I'm very. We just. Uh, finished what we sort of finished last night, Troilus and Crusade. Um, We didn't quite finish it. We'll come back to it again on Monday, but um, that's been really great, looking at Troilus and Crusade. I've been having so much fun doing that. Chaucer's uh, longest complete work, but of course, *The Canterbury Tales* uh, is incredible fun. So we're going to be—I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to looking at that next semester. Um, uh, Professor Amy Sturgis is also doing her Harry Potter class again. She's—it's been over two years since she did her Harry Potter class, um, and uh, you know that was way—that was in the very second semester of our existence at Mythgard. A lot of people didn't know we existed back then, um, so people have a, another chance. Amy Sturgis is actually—did um, you know, Dave, that Amy Sturgis taught the first? Ever Harry Potter class, um, you know she was the first person ever to teach Harry Potter at the college level. No, yep, first person, first but. person on the planet, um, and uh, so anyway, so she's she's she's. She's really good. Her, you know, for those for people who have never, you know, who don't know Amy Sturgis or haven't taken her classes, uh, I just can't recommend that enough. She is, uh, she's been, um, huh. you know, a regular professor with us, um, you know, ever since she did her, her, the Harry Potter class the first time. Um, she has so much energy. She does such an amazing job of. Uh, of really bringing things together, of really sort of unfolding for people, um, you know, sort of the, the 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 history of genres, you know, to see all the stuff that underlies all of the literary traditions that underlie the Harry Potter uh, works, you know, she does a really great job with that. Um, so anyway, there's um, uh, there's that 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 class should be really cool. And our third class is a brand new class with a new instructor who's never taught at Mythgard before. Uh, another Uh, another really top Tolkien scholar who is joining us this coming semester, and that is Robin Reed. Um, And she is teaching a class on the Lord of the Rings, and it's a a different class than anything that we've offered. Um, What Robin does as a Tolkien scholar, um, she is a 20th century person. She is is the comparatively rare species that is a Tolkien scholar who isn't a medievalist. Uh, And... her approach to the Lord of the Rings and to Tolkien is from a thoroughly 20th century point of view. Um, So what she's going to be doing in her Lord of the Rings class is she's going to be contextualizing the Lord of the Rings within the culture of the 20th century, not within the culture of the Anglo-Saxon period, but within the, the, the... Within the culture within its immediate culture in the 20th century, um, and also looking at the, the the legacy of the Lord of the Rings and the impact that it had you know a lot of people say things like, "Oh yeah, you know Tolkien was basically the father of the modern fantasy genre um, oh you know, the, uh, you know the Lord of the Rings has had such a profound impact on on people throughout the world. well she's going to actually be looking at that. Looking at, you know, some examples of the responses that people have had, not just in the English speaking world, but outside it. She's going to be looking at, um, you know, the, the, the translations of The Lord of the Rings into, into various different languages and the way in which um, people in, in other non-English speaking cultures how they responded to the Lord of the Rings and what they picked up on and really emphasized in the Lord of the Rings, you know, in their discussions of it and in their translations of it. And so to look at the kind of impact that the Lord of the Rings ha- has had, um, not just in the English-speaking world, but um, but but around the world. Um, so that's, you know, so the... Um, the course, as I said, it's a, it's, it's a very different kind of class. It's really going to be looking at Tolkien um, from a different angle than we ever have uh, at Mythgard. I'm so. really
1: excited about that. I, I guess I've now discovered that I'm a modern Tolkienist, which explains why when I go do papers at these... Tolkien things people kind of looked at me strangely cuz I'm keep bringing things into the 20th century and I suddenly realized when you said about Robin it's like well that's why they were like why is she doing that <laughs> yeah it
2: is it is funny it's like a little countercultural you know uh yeah. the, and 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 honestly to me that's been one of the things um you know when I when 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 I look at sort of the trend of Tolkien scholarship and the increasing acceptance of Tolkien in the scholarly world to me my my indicator for that is the number of 20th century scholars who are willing to take it seriously. I mean, before, you know, it was it was, really, it was just a subset of the medievalists who were, who were taking Tolkien seriously. There were very few just straight-up 20th century lit people who are interested in looking at Tolkien at all. Um, there has been an increase in that. Um, and more and more people, even wanting to look, you know, modernists in particular, um, have been some of the harshest... Uh, critics of Tolkien from the very beginning, um, but even even more people who who study that period, you know, who are looking at the you know, first half of the 20th century literature, um, are now beginning to see actually, yeah, you know, there is really a lot of stuff to talk about. That in fact you can see that different as they are, you know, in so many ways. You can look at, you know, the, like the work of the modernists, people like Joyce and uh, and Pound and Eliot, um, and see that they, they actually do share some interests in common with Tolkien, even though the expression is so different uh, and the spirit is so different and the the you know the the, the whole approach. But yet they are interested in some of the, in some of the same things. Um, so there's definitely a lot more work to be done there, but yeah, she, um, uh, you know, Robin is not only a 20th century person, but she's um, she is very much a, a a pop culture critic. You know, this is the main thing that she Boy, so, I, you know, she's very interested well, you know, in. I mean, in, in a conversation in she and I had. Impact. She
1: was she was talking about you know the other thing which I know we've touched on. I mean, Tolkien is like the root of Dungeons and Dragons, which yes. is where all the role playing stuff came from. It came from Tolkien. Dungeons and Dragons did so. You know, I mean, she's so she's very much up on that too. It's it's like the game, the game, the gaming. I mean, it's she's amazing. I'm really looking forward to this class. Cause yeah, she, I,
0: uh, like, got all I hope it's Brandon done. Young's taking this class. He can finally write that Tolkien Joyce paper.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe he can. <laughs> he's been he's been he's been he's been itching to do that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So no, it should, and 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 you're right, uh, Trish. It's exactly the kind of thing again. You know, uh, some you know that some literary scholars are sort of you know. Uh, Above considering that kind, you know, gaming and stuff like that, but that's exactly the kind of thing that Robin's interested in—in looking at the actual, you know, cultural Mm -hmm. impact of this, you know, uh, the the way in which it has affected people. um, You know, so she looks at things like, uh, like gaming, like conventions, you know, like uh, 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 role playing and and, and all that kind of thing, and the way in which Tolkien is, you know, and the the kind of cultural narratives that Tolkien has influenced. Um, and, uh, and which have kind of spun off from the Lord of the Rings. So anyway, um, yeah, that, that should be, that should be, uh, that should be a really fun class. So those are our three classes, the, uh, Lord of the Rings class, uh, with Professor Reed, uh, the Harry Potter class, uh, with Professor Sturgis and the Canterbury Tales with me. So those are our, those are our three classes for, uh, uh, for next I time.
1: should actually put a plug in that Corey's Chaucer class is bound to be. Really fun and
2: interesting. Too. <laughs> yeah, it's been. I I, I, I have. Uh, I've been really enjoying it. Too. I haven't taught Chaucer in several years, and uh, Chaucer is um, pretty much my second favorite author. I mean, uh, I, I I just love uh, Chaucer's work, and The Canterbury Tales is just. So much. He
1: uses the word adorable a lot in his Chaucer likes. Oh my
2: I goodness. Noticed. Chaucer is so cute. <laughs> Chaucer's narrators are so adorable. They are just so cute. I you know, I could hug them. Um uh, I mean, oh my goodness. It is just there's just nothing like it. There is nothing like it. Um I, I don't know any other author which is who is more delightful to read than Chaucer. You know, Chaucer can be scathingly critical, um, but he's almost never bitter. He, like, has fun all the time. You know, like, even when he's talking about serious things, there is always a hint of play. Um, You know, there is, it's not just that Chaucer is so much fun to read, but that I feel like Chaucer had more fun writing than I mean. It seems like Chaucer had more fun yeah. writing than any other writer that I know. I that's the that's the, well, he, the sort of the he did a lot of,
1: of um, he sort of did a lot of um, parodies, didn't he? Kind of. I, I don't know if parody is the right word of sort of the, sti- the various styles of literature of his day, right? Sort of, yeah.
2: It, as you say, it's not exactly parody, but it is. Yeah, but he, certainly, he's 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 critical of them, but he's critical of them in 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 kind of. Um, An
1: affectionate you know, way, yeah, yeah. I
2: mean, he he, he <laughs> will sort of, um, kind of do do send ups of them, um, and in the Canterbury Tales, of course, he, he his mockery is a little bit more direct because he he will sort of embody particular um, inclinations or particular traditions or things in some of his pilgrims, which he can then you know sort of parody through their own words, right? Um, right. But uh, so he, he he does get a little bit more direct with the parody. Um, in, uh, in the Canterbury Tales than he does in his earlier works. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he can be really thoughtful and really moving, uh, um, b- but, yet, uh, but, but yet always always fun, uh, and in this really charmingly sort of self-deprecating way. Um, yeah, Andrew is uh, talking about the tale of Sir Topas. Um, you know, yeah, when, when Chaucer's narrator himself gets to give a story, and he starts reciting, he starts reciting a poem, which uh, they have to cut off in the middle because it's so bad, um, <laughs> you know, and they get the, the, that wonderful line from, from Harry Bailey, the, the innkeeper who's sort of the judge of the tales. You know who says that his drasty rhyming is not worth a turd? Uh, you know your 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 <laughs> terrible rhyming isn't worth a turd. He says, uh, uh, you know, he just said, please stop for God's sake. And again, that like that's Chaucer. You know that he would put in the ma- in the mouth of his own narrator's character the worst poetry that he wrote. Uh, you know, on, on, because it's hilarious. Um, anyway, uh, there's just there's there's just such great stuff there. Um, uh, I'm, uh, I am I am I am. I am very excited. So anyway, um, we will we will be doing. We're not going to be reading every tale in the Canterbury Tales because, of course, I, you know. I mean, if you've, anyone who's taken classes with me knows that I really love to <laughs> dig into the text and take some time, um, I, I couldn't possibly just do a you know a survey from five you know from like twenty thousand feet over the Canterbury Tales if I tried. You know, uh, so I need to give myself time to really dig into each of the tales and look at them carefully, which means I have to be selective. So we're we're but we're still reading a goodly number. So it will be, a, it will be, it will be a lot of fun. Anyway, okay. Um, Myth-
1: Mythgard Academy class coming Mythgard up.
2: Mythgard Academy class. Yes, we age. do have uh, our class on Ender's Game, which will beginning uh, will be beginning in about two weeks. Uh, I should be posting the schedule soon. I've been saying that for a while now, but it really will happen soon. I promise. Um, I'm to- that's totally near the top of my list now. Um, and uh, we should have that worked out. We are going to, by the way, we, we are going to do a session uh, on the film adaptation at the end. So we we will be talking about the the recent uh, Harrison Ford film version of Ender's Game at the end. Um, to be, uh, you know, doing some discussion of the adaptation. Um, uh, so we will definitely be doing that. Um, but uh, anyway, yes, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about Ender's Game. Excellent. Lots of exciting stuff. Yes, lots of exciting stuff. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and Godspeed.